Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hey everyone, Kevin Cruz here and welcome to a very special double show. What do I mean by that? Well, we are going to release this as a LeadX Leadership Show episode and an interview format for the Extreme Productivity Podcast, which is usually a solo show. Because today I'm interviewing Michael Hyatt. Now, Michael is the former chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. He's the CEO of his own company. He's a New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestselling author of three books, including Platform, Your Best Year Ever, and his new book is called Free to Focus. Now, we talk about extreme productivity. That's my term, but he and I think a lot alike. In his new book, Free to Focus, he talks about how to stop doing things, how to cut things out, and then how to act. We talk about the power of no. We talk about how to automate things. We talk about how he broke his cell phone addiction in three days and a whole lot more. So enjoy this episode. And before we go, I'd be remiss if I didn't plug my own book that just came out this week. It's called Great Leaders Have No Rules, Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. It can even transform your family. I explained why you need to close your open door policy, turn off and put away your smartphone. You should be likable, not liked. You should lead with love. You should crowd your calendar. You should definitely play favorites. You should reveal everything, including salaries. You should be showing weakness. And remember, leadership isn't a choice. All that and more, go to norulesleadership.com to claim some crazy bonuses or just go on to amazon.com and buy a copy of Great Leaders Have No Rules Now. Now enjoy the episode. Michael, officially welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. What a joy to be on. Yeah, I, we were talking before we started recording that um, we've, we know a lot of the same people and have bumped around, but it's the first time I've, I've had you on the show. And of course, this is going to be, um, this is a twofer for you because it's going out for both the LeadX Leadership Show and the Extreme Productivity uh, Show. So um, uh, the, the focus, of course, is going to be on your new book and productivity, but we're going to hit both feeds with it. Great. I appreciate that very much. Now, I want to start, Michael, I've got a bunch of selfish questions to ask you, and then we're going to come back to free to focus. Um, Great. So, so, I've written and I've got a passion around leadership, but also around productivity. People seem to think that's weird. I get asked all the time, like, wait a minute, I thought you were the leadership guy, or what? You wrote a leadership book? I thought you were the productivity guy. Yeah. But, but you're like me. You like both of those things. Do you get hit up with that same question? I, I do, or like twins. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I do leadership, goal achievement, and productivity. And, and I kind of think of it as leadership is the big umbrella. But if you're going to be a leader, you've got to be able to achieve your goals and you got to be able to execute on what you're planning to do. And so I think they go hand in glove. I think they fit perfectly. Yeah, that great minds think alike, right? Uh, that's, that's great. And I, I read, of course, your, your standard uh, bio at the beginning of the show. But tell my audience, my listeners who might not be as familiar with your work, the bigger picture, we're going to talk about your new book, but you've got different content areas and different ways to learn from Michael Hyatt, not just, not just books. Tell us about what else you've got. 
Yeah, well, I spent uh, the bulk of my career in the book publishing industry. And in 2011, I was the chairman and the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, seventh largest publisher in the U.S. We sold the company to HarperCollins. And so I made my exit. I thought it's now or never to start my own business and be an author and a speaker. So I did that in 2011. The first book I published was with Thomas Nelson. Uh, it was called Platform, How to Get Noticed in a Noisy World. That led to my membership site, Platform University, where I help people build an online platform because I think that's an uh, increasingly an important aspect of leadership. Right. Then I came out with a book called Living Forward, and that book was about how to create a life plan because I think that when you're intentional about your life, things go a lot better. Right. Then my book that came out last January was called Your Best Year Ever, and it's all about goal achievement. And I had, I've had literally like 40,000 people go through the online course uh, it's been a major conference every year, and the book came out last January, was number one on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And then my new book, Free to Focus, which is just hitting stores April the 9th. I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, yeah, so, so it's my brand new book, and it's all about productivity. Now, you, I mean, you've got a, a media empire, though, because you talk about the books as almost the, the starting point. But then if you like the book or you're not a, a reader, you could also do online training. You could go to the live events. I mean, you're offering it in different, different formats, right? I, I do because I find that uh, people are at different places in their life in terms of where they want to access this stuff. Some people, they just want to read the book. Some people want to go to a conference. Some people want to, you know, take the online course. Um, in addition to that, I have a, a big coaching program, which is probably the guts of what I do called Business Accelerator. And people can find out more at businessaccelerator.com. Then I have a book club. I have uh, something called leaderbooks.com. Brand new, book right? This is hot off the press, as they say. Yeah, it's hot off the press. We have 5,000 members. Wow. And so we curate, we pick the books every month. By the way, I'd love to see your new book and consider that. Uh, but then we, we guide people through the experience. We have an online community, our own app for that. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool experience uh, for people that want to grow in their personal development. Now, I also have to ask, and again, I'm asking all my selfish questions uh, first. Uh, hopefully, other people will benefit than just N of one here before we talk about your book. Um, so, you've, you're interested because you're an author now. You're on the author side of things. You used to be on the publisher side of things. Right. And, and things have changed a lot. You know, I've done books with traditional publishers. I've done uh, independently published books. And there's mm -hmm. hybrid publishers. I haven't used them yet, but they're sort of in the middle. I mean, what do you make of the modern times of publishing? And if there's a, you know, an executive or a consultant out there who's thinking like, I should write a book to help get my career to the next level because the root word of authority is author. Where should they start? Traditional, indie, somewhere in between? Yeah, well, I, I, I do have strong opinions on that. So <laughs> I've done a little bit of all three. So for years, 35 years, I was in the traditional publishing industry. But in the last five years that I led Thomas Nelson, we started our own hybrid publishing model because we realized there were a lot of people that uh, wanted to self-publish, but were a little bit overwhelmed by that. And we thought we could help them uh, do that. So we started a uh, hybrid model. And then I've also self-published myself. So I've got one book on Amazon that I self-published called The Virtual Assistant Solution, everything I've learned about using an executive assistant and a virtual assistant. But um, here's what I would say. My opinion has changed a lot since I left the traditional publishing world. So I was super excited about the world of self-publishing. 
because I thought, you know, you don't get, need to get permission from anybody, just go. But here's the problem with self-publishing, and, and if you've done it, you know it's a lot of work. It's a huge amount of work. You suddenly have to take responsibility that for all the things that the publishing company would typically do, including all the ugly stuff, all the back-end uh, stuff that people never think about, everything from getting your book typeset and designed to getting it up on Amazon and all the other sites where they sell um, uh, books. So here's what I recommend today. I recommend start with traditional publishing because the thing I love, if you get the right publisher, um, they're going to do all the ugly stuff for you and you can stay focused in the area where you make your highest and best contribution. And that's going to be a, a theme and free to focus that we'll be talking about in a moment. So it allows you to do what you do best and let the other stuff be done by somebody that does this all day long, every day. If you can't get a traditional publishing deal, then I would look at hybrid publishing. It's not cheap. You know, you're going to have to pay to play, so to speak. But again, you're outsourcing all of it to somebody that's going to be doing all that ugly stuff. And then finally, self-publishing. You know, if you can't, if you can't, you know, chin the bar and do the hybrid publishing thing, do self-publishing. But absolutely, uh, get yourself published. Nothing will move your career along faster than a published book. Nothing gives you more authority than a published book, not even a PhD uh, in our culture. So that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, and I just want to kind of echo some of that and expand for the listeners. The First of all, I agree, like, you know, go, go and get that book done. And um, uh, I've also changed a little bit. If you've not yet published a book, Start with traditional because what's going to happen if you go indie and your book doesn't sell five, 10, 15,000 copies and you try to go traditional, they're going to look back at your last book That's right. and they're going to look up and they have a way to tell. You can't just fib. They can see how many books you've sold. And if it's not a good enough number, they're not going to take a chance on you. So you've got a better chance of getting that traditional book deal if you haven't already done an indie book deal. So try that first. If you can't, well, then fine. You can do hybrid or, or you can do indie. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And the other thing I would add to that, Kevin, is you've got to take in any of those three scenarios, you have to take responsibility for marketing. Now, right. here's where I see a lot of authors get frustrated. You know, they say, well, my publishing company didn't market me. And they had this expectation that the publishing company was going to make them famous. That's not what they do. You know, you've got to drive the marketing as long as you take responsibility for it and you're just grateful for anything that they do and assuming that they get the distribution uh, that you want and need, then I'm a happy camper. And so that's, that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, no, I, it makes a lot of sense. Now, <clears throat> the other thing I noticed, Michael, and again, these are still my selfish questions. You've really blown up on social media recently. And it wasn't always that way. Like you started dabbling a while ago and then I could see you really doing it. And now... I mean, uh, for the people who, who aren't seeing the video of this, I mean, you're not a, you know, a, a, an 18 year old Instagram influencer uh, where this stuff might come natural. So tell us a little bit about this journey. You must find social media marketing valuable. Give us some insights yep. on the platforms and the tips. And did you find that, oh, this is fun and it's easy or do you have to kind of push yourself to do it? Well, actually I've been at it longer than you might think. Mm. So. I started blogging in 2004. In fact, my first blog was called Working Smart, still under michaelhyatt.com, but the title was Working Smart, where I shared productivity hacks. So I got into that space when I was in the traditional publishing world because I thought this is a new platform that authors have to learn and master. I got into podcasting about seven years ago, you know, when it was still challenging and difficult. 
Um, I was an early adopter. I got into Twitter, I think it was in 2006. I got into Facebook shortly thereafter. Uh, Instagram is probably the newest platform for me. I don't really dabble in LinkedIn at all. But in my book, Platform, which came out in 2012, I was already talking about, at that time, I had about 100,000 followers on Twitter. And so, you know, I had a mailing list of maybe, at that time, about 100,000 also. And so, I, I basically shared everything I knew about the social media at the time, but Facebook was kind of a new thing for me. Now, I've got, I don't know how many followers or fans I've got on Facebook, maybe I don't know, a couple hundred thousand. I've got 300,000 on Twitter, Instagram about 60,000. But Instagram is where I'm focusing most of my attention today uh, because I find more engagement there. So I've, you know, I'm trying to do Insta stories every day. I'm doing Instagram posts every day. I've got a social media manager that helps me. But here's the key thing. All of this is not just to dabble in social media, which can be an incredible distraction. Mm-hmm. And so what I want to do is I want to use all of that to ultimately build my email list because I think, you know, the list is so important. That's my most important digital asset. And I have over a million names on my email list today. But in terms of strategy, last year, for example, on Facebook, we spent over a million dollars on Facebook ads. Wow. Now, here's what we didn't do. <laughs> we did not. I know it's crazy. But, I, but here's the deal. We didn't, we didn't spend that trying to sell a product. This is an important consideration. We spent that money offering something that was irresistible for free. Mm-hmm. So it was a checklist. It was a webinar. You know, it was an ebook. It was an assessment. It was something that got people to opt into the email list where we could then nurture them and then sell them something after a period where we could, you know, build trust. Right. And so that's the strategy that's really worked for us. And I mean, we know down uh, to the penny, what it costs us to generate a lead and what it costs us to generate uh, a sale. And so we monitor that. In fact, we use an outside agency that monitors all that, that for us. But, and tell me on a, on a personal level. So for example, the Instagram stories is what I've noticed is the newest. You're doing, you know, amazing job every day. And Thank you. is this something that, you know, you're an extrovert and you enjoy giving value and you're obviously tech savvy. So, Hey, I'm at home. Let me just let me just put on, you know, let's, let's just stream this, you know, out there. Or, or is it like, oh, okay, that's right. I haven't done my story today. I got to do my story. <laughs> well, that, that's a great question. Actually, I'm very introverted. So I've, I, in fact, I would classify myself as I've gotten older, more of an omnivert. That's actually a thing. But, you know, I can, I can turn on the extroversion when I need to because I have a bigger end in mind. And uh, honestly, I need accountability in this stuff. So I have a social media manager who, if I don't get my Insta stories done, like she's texting me saying, hey, and and she'll give me ideas too. Like, what if you did one on this? So now I've kind of got my my radar up. So I'm looking for opportunities in the day, you know, to to do those kind of those Instagram stories. No, that's great. And I, uh, again, before we started recording, I mentioned um, a lot of times you'll show some behind the scenes things and, and, you know, you just did your unpackaging of your new book, you know, which looked great. and was fun to see you do that. Sometimes you're talking about getting ready to go into the studio. Um, and I think people really want to see like what it's like to be you. They, they like the advice. They want to get that value, but they want to know where it's coming from. So I think that's great. Well, it's kind of a weird thing. You know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit I don't know. I don't think this is false humility, but I'm just like, why would anybody care about my life? You know, they got their own lives to live. But as it turns out, people like that behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, I'm happy to oblige. I still just, I have a hard time believing people are interested, but 
apparently they are. That's great. Well, let me turn and talk about the, the, the real uh, uh, focus here. <laughs> New book again, Free to Focus, a total productivity system to achieve more by doing less. And I have a weird quirk, Michael, where I'm obsessed with the first sentences of books. You can't see, they're off camera, but whether it's novels, nonfiction, I, I think like this is the chance for the author to grab someone. And, and in bookstores, I'm horrible. I just open up to the first page. I'm reading first sentences. I'm curious about it. And so yours, it's a good one. The first sentence of your book is, I think I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> Take us back. What was going on? So you weren't always a master of productivity and calmness. At one point, you were thinking or said, I think I'm having a heart attack. Okay, I got to tell you something as an author. <laughs> uh, this is interesting that you noticed that because I read a, a book years ago by Dean Koontz, the famous novelist. It was called How to Write Best-Selling Fiction. Here's what he said. If you want to write best-selling fiction, not just genre fiction, but stuff that really gets on the bestseller list, you gotta, he said, you got to take the protagonist. And he said, you have to get, get him in deep trouble on the first page. And then it's got to get worse before it gets better. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's an example of it. So, yeah. So years ago, this was probably uh, 20 years ago now, I ended up in the emergency room three times in a row uh, over the course of about probably six weeks. And I thought I was having a heart attack. And so finally, I mean, every time the doctors would say, you're not having a heart attack, Mr. Hyatt, you're fine. Just, you know, and I mean, after a while, I'm thinking, is this in my head? Is this reality? Are they not picking up something? So I went to a very well-known cardiologist here in Nashville, Tennessee, where I live. And I said, I really just want you to check me out. I, I can't sleep at night. I'm fretting over this. And I, I just got to put this to bed. So he ran me through the, you know, the nuclear stress test and all that kind of stuff. And he said, okay, look, here's the deal. Your heart's fine. You do not have a heart issue. He said, what you do have is you have... Um, uh, uh, an issue with indigestion, which is sort of masking or creating the symptoms of a heart attack, and you've got acid reflux. And so he said, I'm going to give you something for that. But he said, here's the real issue. He said, you've got a stress issue in your life that you're not coping with. And he said, if you don't solve that problem, he said, you might end in here for real, and you might end up in the hospital at a point where I can't help you, because you might have a heart attack from this, but it's not because of your heart, it's because of the stress. That was a huge wake-up call. I said, something's got to change uh, in terms of the way I'm living and particularly in, the, in terms of the way I'm, I'm working because it was backing up into my health. Mm -hmm. It was backing up into my personal life. Now, before the doctor like came out and actually said, hey, you've got a stress issue, did you know it? If someone said, hey, how are you yeah. feeling today? Would you say like, I, like it's a I'm running a pub giant publishing company. I'm stressed out. Like, Would you have acknowledged it or you wouldn't have really known it? Well, I, I think if I have a superpower, it's stamina. And so I have the ability, this isn't a good thing necessarily, but I have the ability to stuff my feelings in the pursuit of a goal yeah. and just go like, you know, I'll, I'll deal with this later. I got to persevere and I just got to keep going. And unfortunately, I had done what a lot of people do, which is convinced myself that the current situation, whatever it might be, was temporary. So it's sort of like when I get acclimated to this new job, then I'll make time for myself and my family. You know, once I get through this new product launch, then I'll make time for myself and my family. Once we, you know, merge this new company we just bought into my company, then I'll take time to, to relax. And so it was like one series of things that I'd convinced myself were temporary, but they, those kinds of things have a way of becoming permanent. And that's what had happened to me. 
So I'm going to, I wasn't planning on going in this, this direction. I want to kind of walk through uh, uh, your book, but you touched on something about this stamina and it's not just a, an ability to work the hundred hours a week or something, but it's sort of, we trick ourselves like, well, it's just this week or once this project's right. done, once we hit our numbers at the end of the quarter. And in your book, you share that this idea of diminishing returns, you know, okay, you're productive to a certain level at 40 hours. What about 50? What about 60? What about hundred? So share uh, with our listeners, you know, some of the, the thinking and research in that area. How many hours is too many hours? Yeah, well, as it turns out, all the research points to the fact that after about 55 hours, in fact, the researchers call it the law of 55, after about 55 hours, there's diminishing returns on our productivity. So we actually go in reverse and become less productive. Yeah. So um, I, I personally, I put the cap at 40 hours. So that constraint actually drives productivity because the way I used to work is I, I used to think, well, you know, if I don't get my to-do list done by mid-afternoon, no problem. I'll go home and eat, crack open my laptop and work into the evening or I could drag it into the weekend. I'll finish up this weekend, but now I've got a hard, fast stop at 6 p.m. I've, um, I, I don't work on the weekends. I don't, and this is important. I don't think about work. I don't talk about work. I don't read books about work. I do something other than work, which we can, can get into. So what that forces is me to have every day, kind of like that Friday before you go on vacation when you're so unbelievably productive because you got a hard, fast <laughs> stop before you fly out to your vacation destination. So I just said, hey, I, I think I could use this every day. So in the afternoon when I'm tempted to go check Facebook or goof off, I say, no, because this is going to stop. In fact, I have... Uh, automatic home automation in my my home so that my my office that's in my home, the lights go off at 6 p.m. and I'm standing in the dark if I'm working past that. Love that. Love that. You could lock yourself out of your own office with this uh, automation right. technique. <laughs> <laughs> so the book again, Free to Focus, A Total Productivity System to Achieve More by Doing Less. And, and you detail in the book, I mean, it really is, it's not one of these theoretical books about time or productivity or one of these other kind of productivity books that have so many rules and algorithms and formulas. It's a step-by-step -step plan. It's a system. And at the highest level though, you say there's three areas, stop, cut, and act. Stop, right. cut, and act. So tell us about the stop part. How do we begin to get more productive by doing less? What's the stop part? Well, first of all, that whole stop section is really counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, you think, if I'm going to read a productivity book, man, I want to get into the game. I want to create momentum. I want to act. I want to do something. I want to go faster on this hamster wheel. But that's the problem. We're on a hamster wheel. And so, my premise in the book is we got to stop. we got to take a step off the hamster wheel. And we got to ask, why am I on this, on this thing to begin with? And where is it going? I, I think for me, as a productivity geek, and I've been a productivity geek since I was in college, you know, for me, it so often became an end in itself. You know, I want to install this app or I want to use these hacks or these strategies. Why? So I could be more productive. Why? So I could be more productive. So, you know, maybe I had a 12 hour day and I reduce it to eight hours, but then I right away fill it back up with work. So I'm more efficient. I'm getting more done, but my life, I don't have a life. And so I think it's important to stop and ask, and this is the first chapter called formulate. What's our vision for productivity? If in fact, my premise is true that productivity is a means to an end. What's the end game? 
Where are we going with this? And for me, I think the end game is freedom. You know, I, I, this really happens to business owners, people who start a business because they want to be free, you know, of the man or be free of the corporate environment. And then they find out two years into it that their dream has become a nightmare because now they're working for the most oppressive, unreasonable, demanding boss they've ever had, which is themselves. Right. And so they have no freedom. You know, they used to have freedom back when they had a job, but now that's gone. And Kevin, the thing I'm looking for is four specific freedoms. And let me just, I touch on these on the book, but just quickly. First of all, the freedom to focus. The ability to focus in our distraction economy is a superpower. It gives you the edge on your competitors, will advance your career, will advance the growth of your business. Freedom to focus. The freedom to be fully present. One of the sad things about these devices that we carry around with us all the time is that it allows us to be present where we physically aren't. So you go to a little league game and you see all these dads and moms that are on their devices, not present when their kids are playing a baseball game or they're out to dinner on a date and they're checking email from work or checking text messages from work or also in the business environment. And I've been in meetings dozens of times where people are not present to what's happening in the meeting. You know, they're, they're checking their social media, they're checking something else and the meetings take twice as long as they should because nobody's really there. Then the third freedom, the freedom to be spontaneous, to not have so much of our lives planned that we can't, you know, stop to have coffee with a friend or for me, be with my grandkids when they come over. And then finally, the freedom to do nothing. And I learned this when I was in Italy. They have a wonderful saying there called la dolce far niente, which means the sweetness of doing nothing. <laughs> As it turns out, the brain science says that when we're the most relaxed is when we're going to get those business breakthroughs when we're going to be at the most creative. So I'm after those four freedoms. That's the end. And productivity is the means. Does that make sense? Make, makes a lot of sense. I, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. I want to ask um, about that. What resonates most with me is like the, the smartphone addiction, smartphone distractions, et cetera. Uh, we were talking a little bit about my next book. And there's a whole chapter about just put, shut off your smartphone. And yeah. You're, I don't know if you realize this, you probably realize this. Um, one of your most liked Instagram posts from the last probably six months or so was one you did recently and the picture is you showing your new home screen on your phone. Did you know that that was your, one of your most uh, popular posts? Yeah. I so that, I find that very interesting, both like what was on the post, but also that it's resonating with so many people. Tell us about that post and, and what you were writing about, what you were sharing there. Yeah. So I, you know, I mean, I write about this stuff, right? I'm a, you know, quote expert on productivity. And yet I found that, that this very expensive, uh, very cool iPhone, the iPhone XS Max, which has an amazing camera and I spent like $1,200 for really when it, when it came down to it, it was a very sophisticated distraction machine that helped multi-billion dollar companies keep me unfocused from my work so that they can harness my attention, package it and resell it to the highest bidder. So I said, you know, I'm, I'm getting off this train. You know, this is crazy. That's got to stop. So I took my phone. I deleted all the apps that I wasn't using. You know how apps are. I mean, they proliferate like rabbits. And so I deleted all the apps that I wasn't using. But the important thing, Kevin, was I deleted my email. Mm. I deleted, and, and the cool thing now is in iOS, you could actually delete the mail app, which you couldn't always do, right. but I deleted 
email. I deleted Slack, which we use for internal communication. And I deleted all my social media apps with the exception of Instagram. Now I use screen time to manage Instagram. So I was telling it, I want 30 minutes a day on Instagram, no more. But when you reach the time limit, iOS pops up an alert and says, do you want to go for another 15 minutes, extend your limit by 15 minutes, or do you just want to blow it off for the rest of the day? So I found myself cheating on myself. So I finally gave my phone to my wife and I said, I want you to enter a passcode and not tell me. So that when the 30 minutes is up, 30 minutes is really up. And what I noticed about that was, that, first of all, I turned my smartphone into a dumb phone and I still carry it with me because I love the camera. People can call me. My family can text message me. I have two cell phone numbers. So my family has the one and my the executives of my company have the one that, that actually comes to me. And so what I found was I stopped compulsively checking my phone. It took about three days because I would pick up my phone. I'd go like, oh, oh yeah, there's nothing I can do. Did, so, did it stress you a little those three days? Were you a little, mm. it, it kind of humored me because <laughs> I, I felt like, dang, you know, I've been, I've been sucked into this again, but I just realized how many times a day I was checking my phone. Like every time I would get bored right. or a little bit frustrated, you know, or I wasn't getting the creative breakthrough. I was stuck on a problem. I checked my phone and, and it was at odds with my focus. Now I never check it. In fact, I, I would say this, I, um, I use it for my Instagram stories and I'll check a few messages, but then I'm kind of done with it. In fact, I, I was out to, to dinner with friends um, a few nights ago and I didn't even take my phone into the restaurant. That was something I would have never left in the car, but I left my phone in the car because why do I need it? Right, right. Now, yeah. I think the, um, as you know, writers sort of have an ear for phrases and, and words. And, and I love this, you know, you turning your smartphone into a dumb phone and what I'm sure many of our listeners are thinking right now is, well, that's easy for him to do. He, he's Michael Hyatt. Like he's got an assistant or he's got a staff. Like, of course he doesn't need to be on Slack because he's not being told to do anything. I can't do it because of all these limiting beliefs. Right. But how would you address that? People who say, well, that's fine. He's a, he's a rich top of the food chain CEO. The rest of us could never turn our smartphone right. into a dumb phone. What do you say? Well, first of all, it's uh, pro it, it takes progress. You know, you can't do this all at once, but there's some very simple strategies for taking control back of your life. So for example, I like to tune, uh, turn all synchronous devices or synchronous communication into asynchronous communication. So those are two big words. Let me expound on them. So synchronous, com synchronous communication would be like a text message. Somebody pings you, you get the alert, and the expectation is that you're going to respond in real time. I, that sucks because I may be in the middle of, you know, writing an important chapter in a new book or delivering something on stage, and I don't want synchronous communication. I want asynchronous communication. This is more like email where the expectation is that I'm going to respond at some point later. It's not usually going to be immediate. So I want to turn all those synchronous devices into asynchronous devices. So let me give you a good, very practical example. So I have two cell phone numbers. I have my real cell phone number and this is for my family. They know that I'm probably not going to respond immediately, but I get very few text messages on my phone. But then I have a Google voice number. And I just discovered, by the way, another cool service called Dialpad, which kind of biggie sizes the idea behind uh, Google Voice. 
But Google Voice, I have it set up so that it doesn't ring on my phone, but that it emails me whenever there's a text message or a voicemail message. So then I can check it as I do. I check my inbox, my email inbox twice a day. I check Slack twice a day. And the expectation for my team internally is I'm not going to respond instantly, but I'll respond in what I call my uh, workday startup ritual or my workday shutdown ritual. Same for email. Now I'm communicating on my terms when it's not going to interrupt me. But uh, the Google voicemail thing is awesome because you can, I can actually respond to a text message on email and it goes back as a text message to whoever sent it. But the thing is, I've just, over time, I've trained people not to expect an immediate response from me. And, and this is where we're our own worst enemies. Right. You know, when you respond instantly to a text message, the other person says, oh, he's available instantly on text message. I'm not going to bother emailing him anymore. I'll just text message him. So for me, doesn't matter. You're going to get the response at the same time, whatever way you choose to respond to me. I love that. Very specific things we can do to start to uh, to take control. Now, now, Michael, again, we were going through the, the big steps of stop, cut, and act. We were talking about stop. Tell us about what do we cut? What are we supposed to cut to become more productive? Yeah, so I, I, I have to expand on one concept in that first section called the freedom compass, because this is what makes cut make sense. So um, I've got this thing called the freedom compass. It's like a two-by-two two matrix and on the matrix, there are two axes. So there's passion and proficiency. So there are those things, all your tasks are not created equal. There's those things that you love to do. You enjoy, they give you deep satisfaction. And there's those things that you're proficient at, things you're really good at, and not just good in your subjective opinion, but the external world, your boss, your clients, somebody saying, hey, you know what? You're so good at that, I'm willing to pay you to do it. So that is, and if you take this two by two matrix and rotate it 45 degrees, and then put a circle around it, I picture it as a compass, so that true north, where your passion and your proficiency intersect, I call your desire zone. That's where you experience the most freedom, the most job satisfaction, that's where you have a chance of getting in flow, where you're, you're really you know, making progress and moving the needle in your work and in your life. The opposite end of that, due south, is what I call your drudgery zone. These are the things that you don't have passion for, you don't enjoy, um, and, and, and worse, you're not any good at them. You know, you're just, you know, it's, it's a grind to get through these things. And so when you look at those things, and there's two other zones that I talk about in the book, the disinterest zone and the distraction zone. But with that in mind, when you come to the cut section, the secret to freedom and the secret to, to actually achieving more by doing less is to work as much as you can in your desire zone. And again, it's a process. Work as much as you can in your desire zone where your passion and your proficiency come together and the least amount of time in those other three zones, starting with your drudgery zone. So for me, when I became a solopreneur and I didn't have all this infrastructure of a big corporation, it's just me and me. And so in that environment, you know, I hated managing my email inbox. I wasn't very good at it. Booking calendar appointments, I would double book myself. I just wasn't good at this booking travel, you know, I'd miss a lot of details, get out on the road and go, oh my gosh, I forgot to book a hotel room, whatever. And uh, I mean, even simple things, Kevin, like trying to find the FedEx box. You know, I hadn't done that for years and you know, I had to figure that stuff out. So it was not the best and highest use of me. Those things were in my drudgery zone. So what I teach in the middle third of the book is a strategy of eliminate, automate, or delegate. And these come in a very specific order. 
So you don't want to delegate what you could automate and you don't want to automate things that shouldn't be done in the first place. You need to eliminate those. So in the eliminate chapter, I talk about how could we eliminate, let's just start with the drudgery zone. For me, how can I get rid of that stuff like email management or uh, calendar management or booking my own travel? This was tough because as a solopreneur, I thought, wow, how am I going to get rid of this stuff? Well, first, the first place to stop, start is to ask yourself the question, are there things here that don't need to be done at all? You know, is there anything that I'm doing that, you know, might keep me, keep me busy, but might just be fake work? You know, things that are keeping me busy, that are keeping me for the more important stuff that's going to move my, my business or my career forward. And so I say in that chapter, you've got to exercise your no muscle and get very good at saying no. That, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, that's hard because I would consider myself a recovering people pleaser. Absolutely. I, I like to say yes. I don't like to disappoint people. Not only do I have the fear of missing out, but I, you know, people call that FOMO. I have photo, which is the fear of disappointing others. You know, I don't want to disappoint people. So I give some very practical strategies for how to say no and how to create your own not to-do list. So a lot of emphasis on to-do lists. Everybody knows what that is. But what is the not to-do list, the things that I'm never going to do because they, ne they don't help my business. They don't help my personal life. So you got to start there with elimination. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much great stuff here. And again, for the listeners, I mean, uh, there's so much value in the book that even just the, the diagram Michael talked about, you know, and I thought it was brilliant. You sort of take the traditional geeky consultant two by two matrix, but spin it a little bit and, and round it off. And this is your compass. And it really does change visually what this thing means and how to apply it to your own life and the things that you can uh, start, start to uh, cut. And with, uh, we only have a few minutes left, but the third part of course is act. You say we need to consolidate, designate and activate. Tell me more about that. Okay. So activate is one we already talked about is managing distractions. I consider this my defense uh, plan. So you got to start with a good offensive plan. And so those first two chapters in that section deal with that. And um, I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but the consolidate part of that is all about creating your ideal week. In other words, I'm going to begin with a game plan. And if I could control 100% of my time and resources, which by the way, rarely happens, but if I could, what would my week, my ideal week look like? And I talk about a concept of mega batching in this chapter, not just batching, but mega chap, uh, batching. So that for example, I try to batch all of my internal meetings on Monday, all my external meetings on Friday, and that leaves me Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to do the kind of work that's the really focused work that advances my business. Now, the reason I do that mega batching is because of a concept called context switching. So every time I switch from a context, like meetings, for example, and in my case, maybe recording some videos or doing an interview with you, there's a certain ramp up time. I got to get set up. I got to get in the headspace. And if we're constantly switching contexts, we never get the advantage of momentum. So instead, I mega batch. I get into the meeting space with my team on Monday, external meetings on Friday. When I do podcasts, I used to do them, you know, one podcast a week. And I found that I, you know, it would take me like four hours to do a podcast episode by the time I do the whole thing. Now I do 13 episodes in a day and a half. I get into it, you know, I just put the pedal to the metal and I don't have to think about it for an entire quarter. 
Now, that next chapter on designate is where I talk about having a game plan for the quarter, having a game plan for the week, and having a game plan for each day. And, and specifically, I call it the three by three strategy. So I want three goals for the quarter. I want three priorities for the week. There's probably a gazillion things I could do for this week. But what are the three most important that if I got to the end of the week and accomplished those, I would feel good about how my time was invested and I would feel good about the progress I was making towards those goals for the quarter. But here's, and I, this, this I think is a big takeaway, big tip, is to come up with your daily big three. What are my three tasks for today that would really move the needle? Because the Pareto principle says that 20% of the effort creates 80% of the results. So the average person enters the day with like 18 to 20 to-do items, and they're already defeated before they start. They feel overwhelmed because there's no way, no chance that I'm gonna get all that stuff done. And the truth is you don't have to get it all done. But even with a, if they accomplish half of that, they still feel defeated. So I say, forget all that. Look at those 18, find the three that are the biggest, isolate or segregate those, designate them as your daily big three, and feel awesome if you get those three done. And if you get some of the other stuff done, it's all gravy. So I've got a product called the Full Focus Planner, which people can find at fullfocusplanner.com, but it's an analog planner. And I'm totally a digital guy, but I found I was so distracted in the digital environment that if I could pull myself out of that and keep focused on those daily big three, that makes all the difference in the world. And I've, we've got over 100,000 users of that product and the reports that we have from people on that one tip, the daily big three has been amazing. I, I love it. A lot, of, a lot of gold in all of that. I'm going to end with a, uh, a personal question. We might start a fight. We might, might, we might agree to disagree here. So I've been preaching from a few years back now, get rid of your to-do list. If you want to do it, schedule it and then live life from your calendar. A lot of people think that's crazy. You keeping a to-do list these days? Absolutely. And my to-do list, I, I do two things. I'm going I'm to come back to you because I don't yeah, think sure. I disagree with you. But <laughs> So I use a hybrid system. So in my company, we use Asana. Mm -hmm. So I maintain all those other things. That's where I do the brain dump. You know, when an item comes up, I don't put it on my daily list. So I do that and I transfer from that list every evening in preparation for the next day, part of my workday shutdown ritual, I will transfer the three most important tasks for tomorrow. Things that occur during the day, I'll write them down in my planner, but then at the end of the day, my workday, uh, shutdown ritual, I'll transfer those back to Asana. So I'm, you know, keeping sort of this queue of tasks that I could do. Now, some people love to schedule their to-dos or use that in the place of to-dos. My attitude is basically, you've got to design a productivity system that works for you. Yours isn't going to look exactly like mine. Mine's not going to look exactly like yours. We can both be enormously uh, productive. And this is, this is one of the things I think that the Free to Focus program does is because it, it focuses mostly on principles. Yeah. It gives you the ability to customize it for how you work best. So you can customize it to your heart's content. Love it. Love that answer. And, and to be clear, I, I also, I'm not anti-list. People think I'm anti-list. I believe in grocery lists. I believe in project lists. I know what my team needs to be accountable for, but when the day comes, I'm looking at my day calendar and kind of living, living from the calendar rather uh, than the list. That's great. Very similar. Excellent. Michael, I'm excited. Uh, we think a, a lot alike about both leadership and productivity. Again, free to focus, total productivity system to achieve more by doing less. 
tell our listeners where they can get a book and how they can uh, get in touch and follow along with you. Well, the best place to go is freetofocusbook.com. That will direct you to all the retailer sites where you could buy it online. But more importantly, when you buy it, you can come back, submit your receipt number, and, and that unlocks $500 worth of free bonuses related to the book. Things like when you buy the book, you get automatically the Audible edition of the book. You get the Kindle edition of my last book, Your Best Year Ever. You get all these, you get a four-part video series that I did with my executive assistant on basically how do you, how does delegation work and what does it look like, both from my perspective as a delegator and from my assistant's perspective as being the delegate. So we've had people tell us that that's one of the most important series we've ever done. But again, all that's free. All you have to do is buy a copy of the book, freetofocusbook.com. Yeah, and we're certainly going to put the links up, but but this, I was blown away by this offer, and we even spoke before we started recording. My own publisher wouldn't let me give away the Audible version uh, of the, uh, the audio version of my book. This is an incredible deal. Go buy one copy of the book. You get other books. You get the audio version, and you get the training. Any one of these things can transform your life, and you're giving it all the way for the price of one book. That's right. It's incredible. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Congratulations on the book. Thank you, Kevin. Great to be on the show. Friends, if you like this episode of the LeadX Leadership Podcast, please take a minute, leave a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. Ratings are invaluable for attracting new listeners. And I like to convert those listeners into leaders because you know, I'm on a mission to spark 100 million leaders in the next 10 years. And if you want to become the boss everyone fights to work for and nobody wants to leave, check out the LeadX platform with Coach Amanda at LeadX.org. And if you have 10 or more managers who could use some binge-worthy training, send me an email at info at LeadX.org, L-E-A-D-X dot O-R-G, and we'll talk about getting you set up with a totally free pilot for those managers. See if they like it. If they don't, that's fine. We go away. Part as friends. But if they love it, you've just found yourself a new resource for them. Remember, leadership is influence. You're always leading. How are you going to lead today? <laughs>